Happy New Year. Who's made a New Year's resolution? Can I see your hands? Okay. You know why you don't want to do this, because the follow-up. How many of you have already broken it? Yeah, yeah, almost as many hands. Okay, crazy. Well, um, thanks to the Internet, and if you find it on the Internet, as you know, it must be true. Uh, These are the top 10 New Year's resolutions that people make. Not in any particular order at this point, but just listen to these. Um, Read more. Save more money. Spend less money. Quit smoking. Get organized. Build a better budget. Cook one thing new each week. Learn a new skill. I don't know whether I really identify with any of those, but the top three we all know and love, because if you're like me, we do them every year. It's a good 48 hours in those uh, beginning days of January, and they are, of course, lose weight, exercise more, and eat better. Now, I take nothing away from those New Year's resolutions, because like I said, I, I adhere to them every year as well. Some years are better than others. I'm on a roll right now. I'm doing, I'm doing really well with that. And I don't mean to take away with any of that, but I had a thought about this weekend that um, stayed with me. I came up with those top three New Year's resolutions because, of course, they were on the Internet. And as I said, if you see them on the Internet, they have to be true. I thought, well, what if we consulted a different source? Instead of the Internet, what if we had the possibility to have God himself sitting across from us at a table. Maybe we're having coffee. Maybe your New Year's resolution is to give up coffee, so we don't need coffee. But we're sitting there. Maybe your resolution is to stand more. Uh, Maybe you're very talkative. Maybe your resolution is to be a better listener. But somehow you have this one-on-one with God himself. And maybe God has invited some Associates, maybe some of the disciples, maybe some of the apostles. But the issue that you want to raise with God is what are the most important resolutions that I should be looking at for this coming year? Now, when I was thinking about this imaginary scenario, I was thinking back to last weekend. If you happen to have been here, one of the things that we talked about last weekend was how to be an encourager in the coming year. And one of the uh, points that was made last week from 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 is that encouraging people dwell on internals over externals. Not that externals are wrong. There's nothing wrong with losing weight and eating well and working out. But Paul said in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, it's better to dwell on the inside. It was 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 8, that said, Since we are of the day, let us be sober, having put on the breastplate of faith and love, and as a helmet, the hope of salvation. Faith and love and hope, symbolized by a breastplate and a helmet. Now, It would only be silly to say, so what this verse is teaching is that after church, we all need to go out to the armor store and buy 
armor, specifically buy a helmet and buy a breastplate. That's not what that verse is all about. It's, it's good school teacher stuff that's going on here. What do they teach you the first day of school teacher's school? The best way to teach an abstract concept is through the use of a concrete symbol. The best way to teach an abstract concept is through the use of a concrete symbol. So it's not about a breastplate and a helmet. No, they symbolize externally internal qualities, faith and love and hope. So if God were sitting across from us, rather than putting at the top of the list, eat right, exercise, and, you know, uh, take care of your body, he would be saying, you know, there are internal character qualities that you might want to pay more attention to in the coming year, which then raises the question, well, there's lots of character qualities. I mean, if you read the Bible, there are dozens of them. How do we find out which of the character qualities are most significant? Well, I'll give you a hint, save you some time. If you read through the entire Bible, to the best of my knowledge, there is no verse that begins, these are the top character qualities you should make as your New Year's resolutions. It's just not there. But there is a verse that comes really, really close. And I smiled when I thought about it because this is the time of year where you're not only looking forward to what's ahead in the new year, if you're like me, you do some reminiscing and look back on where you've been in your life. And I've got a number of years on my life, and so I get to look way back. And I remember as a little boy growing up in Philadelphia, going to this little church, and this uh, Sunday school teacher was always really big on trying to get us to memorize Bible verses. You know, if you're ever out without your Bible, and of course these are before the days of carrying your Bible on your phone or anything of that nature, you would have it committed to memory. And one of the verses that she loved to give us was another verse from Paul's words. 1 Corinthians 13, 13. And the verse says, Now abide faith, hope, and love, these three. But the greatest of these is, do you know it? Love, right. All of a sudden, my little fantasy conversation became even clearer. God is on the other side of the table and he's saying, you know what? Do you want New Year's resolutions for this year? Do you want to concentrate on what's on the inside even more than what's on the outside? I'll give you three things to work on and I'll even give you the, the number one of the three. If you want to resolve that in the next year, I'm going to have this more a part of my life then you want to have faith, and you want to have hope, and number one, you want to be a person that's characterized by love. Now, I find that a fascinating answer because, I mean, nobody would argue the importance of love. I mean, it's a pretty twisted person who wakes up in the morning and thinks, what can I do to cause people to hate me? How can I be the name people mutter under their breath, the name that they take my picture and put it on a dartboard. How can I be a persona non grata? I don't even know what that means, but it sounds bad. No, 
we, it's very few of us would, would not gravitate to, yeah, I want to be a loving person. But now, in, in our Christian fold, that is an interesting answer, though, isn't it? I mean, I have an awful lot of friends who are defenders of the faith. Our faith is important. Our faith is what separates us from religions and from the heathen and from people that don't know about our faith. It's a very important thing. So I don't minimize faith. But again, I'm not the one that came up with the big three and identified which one was number one. Isn't it interesting that Paul clarified love even above faith? Fascinating to me. Hope. The biblical word for hope means to look forward with great anticipation. It's going to happen. I look forward to it and I can depend on it as opposed to how we in the 21st century talk about hope I'm going to lose weight this year. A hope, a hope, a hope, which is usually code for it'll never happen again this year either. (laughs) We use hope in a very eh, maybe, maybe not kind of way. When the Bible talks about hope, it's for sure. And so what a great character quality. I look forward to what's ahead, not only in this year, but for all eternity because of the hope that I have in the Lord Jesus. Good answer. But again, Paul says, nope, it's not faith. It's a good one. It's not hope. That's another good one. But the top one is love. Now, we take it out of the immediate Christian church context and we look at the culture in which we live in. It really is a good New Year's resolution to have, isn't it? Is it just me or is there more fighting and division and, you know, just people being ugly to one another in the last few years more than ever, more than the 150 years I've been on this planet? It's like, man, where in the world are all these people coming from that are so adamant about their position and they're arguing and they're, and they're belittling other and they're just, they're just hateful. So wouldn't it be good if we spent a few minutes talking about what we can do to be a more loving person. I try to be as practical as I can whenever I look at scripture. Again, if you were here last week, we talked about not only the importance of encouraging, but how to be an encourager. Some very practical things you can focus on in order to be an encourager. I wanna do the same thing today with love. Okay, we all love love, But what does it mean in our day-to-day lives? How do we approach it in a very practical way? Well, fortunately, once again, in the New Testament book of 1 Thessalonians, Paul talks about love, but he also talks about how to be more loving in the way you live your life. So when we look at the book of 1 Thessalonians, I just want to tell you as an overview before we get into the actual set of verses that we want to look at. 1 Thessalonians is one of my favorite books because it's essentially Paul telling a church in a city called Thessalonica, you guys are doing great. Keep up the good work. You are a rocking church, all right? He tells, we saw last week, encourage people just as you also are doing. You've already got this wired. That's good news. We're going to see today, he's talking about be loving like you are already doing. You already know about this. You're already doing it. In contrast, if you look at the New Testament book of 1 Corinthians, for example, they're a mess. You know, if there was a Greek word for dysfunction, it would be there when you talk about the, the Corinthian church. 
they were into all kinds of trouble. So Paul's just correcting and let me get you straight on this. And oh my goodness, I hear this is going on. Are you serious? You know, but with 1 Thessalonians is, I love what you're doing. Keep up the good work. So with that in mind, one chapter earlier than last week's 1 Thessalonians 5, in 1 Thessalonians 4, I want to read to you a little four-verse paragraph, verses 9 through 12. This is what it says. Now, as to the love of the brethren, you have no need for anyone to write to you, for you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. Indeed, you do practice it towards all the brethren who are in Macedonia. So I urge you, brethren, to excel still more. Make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. Attend to your own business. Work with your hands just as we commanded you so that you may behave properly towards outsiders and not be in any need. In those verses, I can see three very practical ways you and I can resolve in this coming year to be a more loving person. Here's the first one. Number one, loving people know that love is the top priority. Loving people know that love is the top priority. Verse nine says, now as to the love of the brethren, you have no need of anyone to write you, for you yourselves are taught by God to love one another. Paul is essentially saying in verse 9, I don't even need to be writing this verse to you. You already know the importance, the top priority that love has. Now, 1 Thessalonians was written before 1 Corinthians. By the time he got to the letter to the Corinthians, he polished it up a little bit and came up with 1 Corinthians 13, 13. Now abide faith, hope, and love, these three, but the greatest of these is love. It's the top priority. But I want to tell you in Thessalonica, you are understanding a very important principle, and that is love is the top priority. It gets the number one vote all the time. Now, to better understand that, we need to dig a little deeper into what it really means from the biblical standpoint to be loving one another, okay? Um, when I grew up, everything I learned about love as a teenager, for example, I learned from the songs I listened to on the radio and the movies I went to and the TV shows I watched. And, you know, that was all right up to a point. But it was all very emotional. And, and then, it, then as I grew older, it got very physical. And, you know, there was all this stuff that makes a good romance novel or a, a great love song. Or, but it was always based on emotion. Which raises a question. As best as I can tell, there's no time in the Bible that God tells us by command to produce an emotion. I mean, you'll never see a verse in the Bible, and God told the people, cry. And the people responded, oh, 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 oh. I mean, you just can't cry at will. Even, even the movie stars, you know, they, they, they yank and an uh, eyelash right before they turn the camera on. I mean, there's all these kinds of tricks, right? I mean, nobody cries at will. You, you can't just do that on an emotional level. So when we see the last three words of chapter four, verse nine, they are love one another. You are taught by God to love one another. In Bible talk, 
That is called a command. Love one another. I command you. It's not a suggestion. It's not if you feel like it. It's not if you've had a good rest and a healthy breakfast. It's not, it's love one another. It's volitional. It's a choice. Or, or as I would say, as a subpoint, love is an act of the will. You choose to love. Now, where that is easy is when there's someone that you're loving who's loving you back. And all that love is just gorgeous. But a lot of us also have people in our lives that, how should I say this? They are mm, unlovable. Got somebody unlovable in your life? Don't raise your hand. They might be right here with you. But you know the trial that can be. What's wrong with this person? Why are they always fighting me? Why are they always doing it differently? Why do, you know. And yet God is saying, lovable or unlovable, choose to love them. It's an act of the will. Now, when my kids were young for years, I was out on the road telling other parents parenting tips. And I would always talk about this. I'd say, you know, you've got kids probably like my kids. There are plenty of times where you have to choose to love them because they are unlovable. A temper tantrum, a bad diaper, a, you know, scene in a restaurant. You know, and it's like, they're not at their best. You got to really go for it. And oftentimes, especially in the summer when school was out, I'd have all five of my kids on the front row. And they'd all look at one another and giggle as I would tell stories on them. Not necessarily in their finest hours. But I would tell them, and everybody would get a big kick out of it. Well, I was doing this one time, and one of my best friends was in the, in the room. And when it was over, he came up to me, and he said, you know, I have a question. Do you, what do you think about your kids when you tell those stories? I mean, do you think that's bad? He said, no, 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 no. They're, they're cool. We always get it cleared in advance. And, you know, they, they think it's funny, too, and la, la, la. He said, okay. He said, all right. He said, all right, well, but I have another question. I said, okay. He said, um, have you ever asked your kids if they had to choose to love you because you were unlovable? And I remember when he said it, I thought he was joking. I'm, <laughs> he said, no, I'm serious. I said, nothing comes to mind, but, but I'll ask them. So later that night, I said, hey, you know, Mike was here in, my, in the meeting and he wanted to know, did, did you ever have a time where you had to choose to love me because I was unlovable? Well, I mean, like three hours later, when we had to stop the time because there were other things we had to do, they were just getting on a roll. I had no idea they had so many unlovable moments in their father's life that they had to choose to love me. I mean, it's amazing. We were... Um, we were living in Southern California when we finally saw the light and decided there's got to be a cheaper place we can live than Southern California. And we ended up, we got a little closer to better real estate, but still pretty high. We got up into Northern California. We got up into the foothills of the Sierra, just below Lake Tahoe, which is currently buried in snow. And um, I remember we left a hopping, happening Orange County town to this little country haven up in Northern California. So spring comes and it's time for Little League. And I grab my oldest son who's about 10 years old and say, come on, we're gonna go to Little League and we get them all signed up and he likes his team and the coach says, come early next week because we're gonna give out the uniforms. 
And my son is so excited because when he played Little League in Southern California, when they got a uniform, they got the exact replica of the Major League Baseball team. I mean, if they were the Little League Astros, they got Altuve's uniform just in the dryer a little bit more than needed. So he's all excited for uniform day and they have their practice and the coach says, okay, it's time for the uniforms. Everybody get in line to get your T-shirts. And my son, my darling naive son, he turns around, looks at me and he goes, dad, they're giving out T-shirts to wear under the uniforms. (laughs) Clueless. So he gets his T-shirt, he realizes that's it and he just starts, you know, his little lips starts quivering. Dad, dad, talk to the coach, talk to the coach. So I go over to the coach, you know, is this it? Yeah, well, you know, you got to go to the store and buy him a hat. But yeah, this is it. What, what are you complaining? You're, you're, you moved up here from Southern California, didn't you? Will you guys stop complaining and stop stealing all our water? So anyway, this guy didn't like me. So we go to the first game. And by the way, I'm telling you this story for a reason. We go to the first game. I'm sitting in the stands behind home plate. And right before the game starts, the two opposing adult coaches come out to home plate shake hands, let's have a good game. And to my surprise, they turn and look at us in the bleachers. And they start saying things like, I'll take you, I'll take you, sir, I'll take you. I start mumbling to my kids, what are they doing? And another one of my boys says, dad, they're picking umps. I said, they don't hire umpires? No, dad, they pull them right out of the crowd. And I thought, wait a minute, you're not gonna make me an umpire when my kid's on the field. How can that possibly happen? If he's pitching, you think he's gonna throw anything but strikes? If he hits a ball, it's fair, no matter what direction it goes. You can't do this to me. So I remember being totally stressed for seven days, seven sleepless nights, I'm pacing. I know they're gonna pick me next Saturday. I know they're gonna pick me next Saturday. I know they're gonna pick me. Next Saturday, coaches, let's have a good game. They turn, I'll take you, you, and he looks right at me, I'll take you, sir. And fortunately, I had seen that finger point on me. In those seven sleepless nights, I was ready. As soon as he said, I'll take you, sir. I remember I leaned forward at the bleacher and I said very distinctly, <laughs> which is German. Uh, but if you speak German, you realize I just said, I cannot understand you because I believe my mother is broken. And the poor coach, he's like the deer in the headlights. He's just kind of looking at me. And he turns to my kids and he says, your dad doesn't speak English? (laughs) And I could see out of the corner of my eye, they're all looking up at me. Is this the moment we choose to love the unlovable? (laughs) Or do we let this big guy fry? And bless their hearts, I remember they looked at the coach and they just went. (laughs) And the coach said, well, I'm sorry, kids, we can't have someone out on the field that doesn't speak English. I didn't have to ump for the entire season. But my poor kids, they're in school and the classmates are saying, your dad doesn't speak English? What does he do for a living? And they'd say, he's a speaker. (laughs) So maybe you think, well, that's a pretty lightweight illustration of an unlovable act. Because I'm sure I'm talking to some people who really have a burden in their life right now, and that is an unlovable person. But all I can tell you is God is saying, love one another. 
Love is an act of the will. Choose to love that person and watch God work in, the, in your life and in their life. So number one, loving people know that love is the top priority. Here's the second one that comes from verse 10. Loving people, number two, know love takes practice. Loving people know that love takes practice. Verse 10 says, indeed, you do practice it towards all the brethren who are in Macedonia, and we urge you, brethren, to excel still more. You do practice it. What does it refer to? It refers back to what we were just discussing in the previous verse, love. Which says to me, love isn't just something that automatically occurs. Love is not just some ooey-gooey, oh, I just, it's just overwhelming me. No, no, no. Love requires work. You need to practice it. And a daily dose is a really good idea. And it says to me, not only are you to practice it, but the full phrase says you practice it towards all the brethren who are in all Macedonia. That there is, there is intentionality to love. It's not just random, but you are loving those that are in Macedonia. To broaden it for you and me, that tells me that love is in the context of a relationship. It's not just whatever happens. It is specific. Here's, here's a way to look at it. When I lived in Southern California and I had all those wonderful hours in gridlock on the freeways, I used to love to look at all the bumper stickers that were in the cars in front of me. And there was one that was very popular back then. You still see it every now and then today. And it said, practice random acts of kindness. Good phrase, good positive, you know, do something good for someone. Practice random acts of kindness. Well, I guess I had been behind that bumper sticker too many hours before I started picking it apart. And I thought, you know what? There's some about this I don't like, and I landed on. It's the word random. And when I thought of random acts, for some reason, the, the mental picture that came to mind was a garden hose that was turned on full blast, but nobody was holding it. You ever seen a hose like that? That's it. That's random acts of kindness. I am spreading love all over the room. I don't even know who you are, but you are drenched in the water of my love. How about you? And it's like, that's crazy. We don't even know who it's landing on by doing that. No, Paul is saying all those that are in Macedonia are the people that you practice love towards. Love in the context of a relationship rather than how about a hose with a nozzle and I look right at someone and say, can I just get to know you a little bit better? And is there anything I can do to help you out? And, you know, let me tell you a little bit about my background and see if there's anything, you know, just developing a relationship with somebody. That's going to be way better than now granted, you're probably going to hit more people with the spray technique but you're gonna be much more effective one-on-one when you do it in the context of a relationship. See, loving people know that love takes practice. You build that into a relationship, and then Paul says, so then I urge you to excel still more. Never allow love to grow stagnant. Always keep developing it. Some of us have had someone that we have loved in our life 
in marriage for getting up there into quite a lot of time. Isn't it interesting? After all those years we've been together, there's still a way to cause that love to grow even more. It's not a wise statement to say, I remember, and pick a year, 1998, strongest year of love in my life. Well, no, no, that's probably not something you want to focus on. You want to make tomorrow the strongest day of your life in love because you are practicing it. You're not allowing it to stagnate. You're moving forward. Loving people know love is a top priority. Loving people know that love takes practice One last one from verses 11 and 12. Loving people know love's tremendous power. Loving people know love's tremendous power. Verse 11 says, make it your ambition to lead a quiet life, attend to your own business, work with your hands just as we command you, so that you may behave properly towards outsiders and not be in any need. Now, if you're like me, you hear those two verses and you say, well, The word love isn't even there. I think we've changed subjects and we're moving on to other things. But I want you to understand a principle that really unlocked my own personal understanding of the Bible more than maybe anything else. And that is the Bible, just like any other good literature, is written in a form that English teachers would applaud. And I'm talking specifically in this case about the use of paragraphs. Remember when you were in eighth grade and the teacher assigned you a composition, come back and write a composition about how I spent my summer vacation or how I spent Christmas vacation, and you wrote that, and the teachers taught us each paragraph begins with what we call the topic sentence. And then you go on from there, and everything that you're doing should relate back to the topic sentence. Once you leave that topic, you move to a new paragraph. Well, the paragraph begins in verse 9, concerning the love of the brethren. And in verses 11 and 12, it's still in the same paragraph. So somehow, love is connected to these phrases that we see in 11 and 12. The phrase that I want to focus on is make it your ambition to lead a quiet life. Lead a quiet life. The Greek word there that's translated quiet would also be translated settled. Lead a settled life. Opposite of settled would be an unsettled life. The best 21st century English synonym to unsettled is stressful. Make it your ambition to lead a life without stress. Now, I always pause there to allow everyone to think what I think you may be thinking, and that is, I don't know where Carrie found this guy, but he's crazy. I mean, can we review what we've heard already? First of all, he says, now, love unlovable people. Like, that's easy. Like, somehow I'm just going to go out and do that without any issues. That's nuts. And now you're saying, live without stress. You don't know my world, blonde boy. You want to come home and spend some time with me? I mean, you'll see it just in the car ride home. I mean, it's bad news there. You want me to love lovable people, unlovable people, and live stress-free? You're nuts. And you know what? If that's all I'm saying, you're right. I'm nuts. But see, the tremendous power is that when God talks about love, he talks about His love, 
There are different Greek words for love. As you probably know, there's love that brothers have. There's love that's more physical. And there's a, a Greek word, agape, for love that comes from God. How am I going to love unlovable people? You're not. God's going to love them through you. How am I going to live without stress? You can't. But God can live stress-free through you, showing you decisions that you could make that'll lighten your load, that'll make your year much less stressful than it was last year. That's because love can remove that unsettled feeling, the tremendous power of agape. It is God's agape love that makes all the difference in the world. So as we approach this new year, may I suggest to you that you resolve to be a more loving person and that you look at just even just one of these three points. I'm going to give love at its top priority. I'm going to realize that love takes practice. And I'm also going to understand love, love's tremendous power. I'm going to focus on one of those and make it my resolve for this year. That that's how people are going to know me because I am characterized by God's love. We love him because he first loved us, the apostle John said. Jesus said, everyone will know that you're related to me if you love one another. Strong words. Let us resolve to be characterized by love. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me? Thank you, Lord, for teaching us about love. Thank you for being love in, in the form of, of humanity when you came as the Lord Jesus to die on the cross for our sins so that we could have a relationship with you. Thank you for that free gift that you offer, a gift of love. Lord, I pray for each and every one that hears these words. May we be inspired to make this coming year a year we resolve to be characterized by love. Help us to reach out. Help us to engage with other people, connect in relationship, do all the things that we need to in order to make that a reality in our lives. And for the one who has never personally received you as their personal savior, may today be the day they do that, moving from death unto life as an act of your love. In Jesus' name, I pray these things. Amen. Hey, church. Thanks for listening to the Woodlands Church with Carrie Shook podcast. By listening, we hope that you're encouraged wherever you are. If you haven't already, we'd love for you to subscribe to our podcast so that you can get the latest messages each week. For more information on Woodlands Church, check out the description for a link to our website and how to connect with us. We hope you have a great week.